Inspired by IMDb and Sight and Sound, Return of the Disc presents the Top 250 Movies List, a miniseries. And welcome back. This is episode six of the Top 250. Joining me as always is Tom. Glad you're here. And Thanks. I went first last time. I know that for sure. Yes, because we just because did I'm wearing it. the same shirt, and you are too. <laughs> and we recorded on the same day. But uh, should we should we start switching shirts to uh, hide it better? Movie, no, movie magic. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'll let you start if you okay. want. This time, good to me. Okay. Um, what you got? My 125 is gothic. Uh, Ken Russell's telling of the night Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein. I love that this is a period piece that is pretty crazy to start, but then Mary Percy Lord Byron and company summon a demon. It just goes insane. Who is this for? Just me? I mean, I'll take it. I can't believe this movie exists. Love it. (laughs) That's hilarious. (laughs) Great insight. Seriously though, like this is real. This movie is rated really low at IMDb, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know who the hell this is for. I mean, like for you, yeah, it's for me personally, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Number one twenty four, Naked Lunch. David Cronenberg's transition from body horror to dark drama finds him adapting beat writer William S. Burroughs' drug fueled "I'm gonna hide out after I accidentally shot my wife to death" novel. Uh, the typewriters are intelligence-gathering insects. A woman rips off her Mission Impossible disguise, and they get super high on bug powder. What a strange movie. Yeah, it's just some insane practical effects in that one, too. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's a nutso movie. Like, I'm kind of, like, once I saw it, I was like, I can't even believe this exists. And nobody talks about it. Uh, my 123 is Death in Venice. Lucino Visconti's adaptation of the Thomas Mann novel follows Gustav, a composer convalescing in Venice who becomes obsessed with a Polish boy, Tadzio. Mann's controversial novel of queer slash pedophilic longing is just strangely fascinating to watch. The movie can be summed up as man looks at boy, and yet, why can't I look away from it? Never seen it. I put it on and I was like, what's going on? He seems like sexually interested in this boy. Oh, that's, that's just the plot of this movie. He's sexually interested in this boy and they don't do anything, but they look at each other sometimes. (laughs) I could see a lot of people finding it really boring, but I was like riveted the entire time. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, number 122 is Caligula, uncut version. <laughs> God damn, is this a movie? Produced by Playboy at the height of their power in an attempt to create the sort of mainstream movie slash porno hybrid that Danny DeVito comes up with and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The result is a hallucinatory, thoroughly unsexy period epic starring Malcolm McDowell, Helen Mirren, and Peter O'Toole. O'Toole plays the emperor of Rome dying of syphilis and gives in to his every mad desire. McDowell follows him onto the throne and surpasses him in rapey madness until he is ultimately assassinated. A testament on power corrupting, it stands as a bizarre film experiment that cannot be unseen. 
wow. there's just porn just in the middle of the movie. It's really insane. Um, <laughs> and they didn't know. They didn't know when they were making it that the, that the producers were going to do that. Really? Wow. No, yeah. It's like completely unethical, kind like really, but like it, it's such an interesting movie. Um, the reason I chose the uncut version is the cut version cuts a lot of the violence in the movie too. In addition to the porno scenes, uh-huh. if they had just cut the porno sections, I would be like, okay, whatever. But it's actually hard to follow if you just watch the cut version because like somebody will just be dead and you'll be like, what the fuck just happened? Like you cut out their death scene. How can you justify doing that? I don't understand. Um, <laughs> so anyway, you have to watch the version with porn because that's the only one that makes any sense, yeah. narratively speaking. Um, Interesting. My number 121 is Crimson Peak. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's gothic romance ghost story. This movie grew on me. I didn't like it when it first came out, but it kept calling me back. The film is absolutely gorgeous to look at. It has ghosts and lush gothic settings, and the conflict ultimately boils down to a battle of wills between two strong women that turns violent at the end of the film. The twist is that the men don't matter, or in any case, have little agency in the film. A strange and compelling ghost story. Nice. You know, you told me that there's going to be obscure titles on this episode and you did not i mean you did not uh, let us down without I mean, that was <laughs> quite the the first five there um all right so my 125 <laughs> is blood diamond nice. starring uh leonardo dicaprio jennifer Connelly, and juman i yeah i'm sorry dude juman Usan, I can't. I said that. I, I know I pronounced it wrong. I'm sorry, but he's a great actor, and he was nominated for his best supporting actor in this. And uh, it's a great movie about child slaves and and what being manual labor being used to to mine diamonds and just a really. It's a better version of that rem that one that on Netflix with Idris Elba. I forgot the name of the title, but this 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 is the better version of that. Yeah, the Kerry Fukunaga one. Yeah, yeah. I should know it, but I don't know it. I I forgot it too. It's in the Criterion Collection too. Is it okay? Well, yeah. Blood Diamonds kind of went under the radar, and I really a big fan of this director, Edward Zwick. He did Glory. We talked about last episode, and just a oh, great really? great acting by uh, DiCaprio here and the whole cast. Great. Turns into like a crazy war film and explosions and crazy. Yeah, it's just suspenseful. Um, 124, based on a true story, Tim Burton, Ed Wood, starring Giant Depp. And how can you forget, you know, Martin Landau in this? It's just Mm -hmm. so good as Bela Lugosi. Just a great, uplifting, inspirational film about a filmmaker who just wanted to make movies and it's just fantastic next one is 123 it's one that i saw in high school and it stuck with me dead Poe society another rob williams movie that you know he, he puts in a great turn here as the professor and these guys they become it's it's a, it's a dark story really i mean you, when you uh see the ending it's just 
it mm-hmm. kind of sticks with you, but there's some really inspirational moments in here and a, and a young tra- portrayal here by Ethan Hawke, one of his first uh, movies. But yeah, Robin Williams was nominated for Best Actor. And Peter Weir, another great director. I've heard of him. 122 is one that you thought I had done before, but here we are. Before Sunset, <laughs> Richard Linklater. Before, uh, this is the sequel to uh, Before Sunrise, where our lovers have gone their separate ways. Ethan Hawke's character has written a book about the events of Before Sunrise and has since been married, which leaves us with on a cliffhanger on this one on what does he do? But again, you see the spark between the two leads again. And it's just it everything is built off of uh, the original, and you, you kind of see the midpoint of this great trilogy. The next one is a Brian De Palma film, probably one of my favorite Brian De Palma films. One Twenty One, Blowout, and this mm-hmm. fantastically, amazingly edited movie uh, starring John Travolta. John Lithgow plays a fantastic villain in this, and it's also a political thriller. Just a a great uh, story about a sound guy who discovers a murder and basically becomes obsessed with not only one of the victims, but or one of the witnesses and, and victims, but just the whole case in general. And it's just a greatly well done thriller. All right, that's my uh, first five. Back to you with your 121. Uh, My 120 is... Or 120. (laughs) Martin Scorsese's Howard Hawks biopic starring Leonardo DiCaprio. Hawks proves a fascinating historical study as he spends his family's wealth to reshoot a war movie with sound, locks himself in a screening room for weeks on end, and crashes a plane into the middle of L.A. A well-done portrait of Hollywood's golden age. The way of the future. Oh yeah, dude, that movie's nuts. Like when when the crane when the plane crash sequence happens, I was just like, "This is happening in the middle of a biopic." Yeah, like, that was that was true though. I guess he's. I know. Yeah, I know. It's just it's pretty nuts though. Yeah, uh, it is. My um, number one nineteen is Beetlejuice, Tim Burton's zany movie of ghosts trying to get scare people out of their house with the help of a deranged bio exorcist. Just a classic 80s comedy. Michael Keaton steals every scene he's in. Very true. My 118 is The Conjuring 1 and 2. James Wan directs the true life stories of Ed and Lorraine Warren as they tackle demonic hauntings in family homes. Heartwarming and frightening, Juan and company bring humanity to the haunted house genre, featuring stellar performances from Vera Farmegi and Patrick Wilson. <clears throat> Number 117. The Girl with the Dragon 2, 2011. David Fincher's American remake of the Swedish novel is stylish and taut. Daniel Craig and Rooney Mara star as Mikhail Blomkvist, a crusading journalist tasked with solving a 40-year-old disappearance, and Lisbeth Salander, the tattooed punk genius hacker who aids him in his search. 
The plot surrounding violence against women and the influence of the Nazis on the present was has only become more relevant in recent years. Harrowing and tragic and with well-drawn characters, I'm always disappointed Fincher and company weren't allowed to adapt the next two novels that deal with the abuse Lisbeth has suffered and deepen the characterization of the two leads. And then... Um, Number 116, on a very different note, um, Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Let me find the disc and I'll hold that up. Oh, it's much earlier than I'm thinking. Frankenstein. Yeah. Young Frankenstein. Um, Mel Brooks's parody of the Universal Frankenstein movies starring Gene Wilder is one of the most perfect comedies ever made. I didn't say very much about that one, but like this movie is just fantastic. Very true. So there you go. That was uh, a one sixteen. All right, one twenty for me is a sleeper hit of the eighties. Eating Raul. Oh yeah. Um. Basically, there's a a couple that want to be rid of the perverts down the hall, and they figure out a way to not only incorporate their restaurant but get rid of the way to lure the perverts in and they hit them over the head with a frying pan. It's very much Looney Tunes and in a, mm -hmm. in a uh, practical Looney Tunes. And, and it's a, a goofball, dark humor comedy. Uh, Paul Bartel directed this and he's also stars in it. And it's just before it's time. And it's just a lot of fun. It's very quirky. I really enjoyed it. And it was oh, recommended ran it to me, and I, I'm glad Criterion put a, an addition out. Oh yeah, they're perverts because they're swingers. Like they're not doing right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like they're not doing anything bad. They're just right. Yeah. Them. There's just loud swingers down the hall, and <laughs> sort of social commentary about you know that whole BDSM crowd in the '80s. Yeah. Um. Uh, number one nineteen, <laughs> Citizen Kane. <laughs> Sorry. We go from no, swingers, Obama. from swingers and cannibalism to Kane. No, my my, my transition to Citizen Kane is going to be equally ridiculous. So, <laughs> Citizen Kane, the heaviest Criterion of the, it's like a brick, and it's also, I, I believe it's also, it's, I have to say, it's, I think it's also like longer. Or it's it's. I don't know. No, it's, yeah, it is. For it's some like reason. oddly shaped, and so yeah, it's like I don't care. I love it, you know. Yeah, I do but, too. It's just it is funny, heavy. But this is uh, Orson Welles in his twenties directed this, and it's still considered one of the best movies ever made. He he's gave the blueprint for you know camera angles, how to use a camera, editing, just the technical aspects that he's he's given the 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 film community, the, the industry it's all in here. And then you have a, a, a great story about the, the rise and fall of Herman Foster Kane. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's one of those movies that grew on me. I thought it was very boring when I first watched it, but I think it's worth, it's one you got to watch multiple times, probably twice to really maybe yeah. uh, have it go, go over you and, and, to really latch on to, I, I would recommend this watching this later in life than your teenage. I don't know. I just, as a teenager, I just wasn't really into it. 
but yeah, it took me like two or three viewings before I yeah. But the each viewing it got better and mm -hmm. just magnificent film. One eighteen is a silent film, also very influential to films like uh, science fiction films like Star Wars, uh, Metropolis. It's visually stunning. Fritz Lang's uh, sci-fi masterpiece. It's uh, it was one of the one films that was considered lost. Uh, they had the mm -hmm. they found new footage and they they were able to salvage uh, most of it and piece it all together in Fritz Lang's uh, in, incredible original vision. And Kino Lober released his complete Metropolis in 2010. So we have we have a uh, one of the best silent films ever made. Mm -hmm. 117 the movie that started the new Hollywood era Easy Rider Dennis Hopper's film uh, starring Peter Fauna and Jack Nicholson and Dennis Hopper himself a biker gang uh, going across the country awesome music cool cinematography drug infused storyline and a heartbreaking impactful ending well, 116 to round out is the last one of the before series 116 before midnight this one i this was actually the first one i saw out of the three i saw it in theaters in chicago and man this just goes to show you, you don't have to see all the other two to really get the gist of of the relationship between uh celine and jess jesse they uh just this is where this is them tackling uh middle age and the the wear and tear of a marriage and relationship together and being together for a long time and having kids in between and, and just all the complications there's a lot of honest conversation in here and ethan hawk and julie delphi also co-wrote the script with Linklater, and it's just it, it just it's, it's i think it speaks very true to relationships and fantastic conclusion to the trilogy or is it could they do more would I want to see more? Yes, I would like to see more of the relationship, but I'm glad they wait 12 years between films. It's kind of what Linklater does. He kind of waits to do, he gives like, he likes these uh, time period things like Boyhood. He shot that over 12 years and he's doing one now or it's taking 20 years. So, oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, it's risky because you don't know who's going to be alive. It's just, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, for sure. I mean, but good on him. Yeah. So, all right, back to you. Okay. Um, <clears throat> my number one fifteen is the fountain. Wow. Darren, yeah. Okay. Darren Aronofsky's surreal portrait of a man, Hugh Jackman, losing his wife, Rachel Weiss, to disease. This is the reality of the situation, but in breaks from reality, we see Jackman as a monk-like figure floating in space, attempting to find a cure for Weiss. Well, we also see passages from Weiss's novel, in which Jackman is a conquistador on a quest for the Fountain of Youth. Another film I didn't like initially, but grew on me. Wow, the way Aronofsky explored the two leads' internal reactions to Weiss's imminent death is heartbreaking and profound. That's one that I've wanted to revisit. Yeah, I didn't like it at all the first time I watched it. I was like, what the hell is this? Mostly because I thought that it was going to be like the Crusader plotline, the like the, the, the quest yeah. plotline. And then like 
it wasn't. That's that's just one of Fairly three. Yeah. yeah. Um, but when I watched it again, I was like, oh, this is a visualization of their own internal journeys and how they're reacting. And once I understood that and I rewatched the movie, I was like, oh, okay. I actually really like this. Now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, my number 114 is The Irishman, uh, the only Martin Scorsese gangster epic that made my list, another movie that grew on me, a film about loyalty, friendship, betrayal, and the long-term consequences of violence, loneliness, time, and memory. This is the story of the man who murdered Jimmy Hoffa. The digitally de-aging technology can sometimes be distracting, but Pacino, Pesci, and De Niro are all on the top of their game as they play these characters across decades and build a profound friendship shattered by a bullet. Well said. Uh, number one, 13, is The Great Mouse Detective. <laughs> Disney's animated Sherlock Holmes movie in which Basil the Mouse solves the mystery of a toy maker mouse kidnapped by Vincent Price's Professor Radican and a bat with a peg leg. One of my favorite films from Disney's Dark Age. Just delightful across the board. Number 112 is... The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Dark and gritty, this movie feels real as it drops you from a normal Texas road into a desecrated cemetery and then into the den of a deranged backwoods cannibal family. Tobe Hooper's debut film, a true horror classic, a nightmare of early 70s angst. Number 111, Django Unchained. Quentin Tarantino's tribute to black exploitation in spaghetti westerns is a wild ride into the antebellum plantation where it gleefully blows the whole thing up with dynamite. Jamie Foxx's Django, a slave freed by Christoph Waltz's Dr. Schultz, a bounty hunter who agrees to help Django free his wife Brumhilda from slave owner Calvin Candy, Leonardo DiCaprio. Considering the pulp nature of Tarantino's inspirations, he imbues the project with surprising emotional depth, even beneath a cocaine-fueled manic pace. You think it was that fast-paced? I think so. I mean, it, it's pretty crazy. Okay. That was good. I don't know. You compare that to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's fast-paced. That's true. That's true. All right, uh, 115. Who wants to be a millionaire? Slumdog millionaire. <laughs> Danny Boyle's, my favorite Danny Boyle film. This is a highly romantic uh, underdog story. It's just fantastic moves, music in this. I bought the CD back in the day. It's, it's just a great film. Won all the Oscars, and nobody talks about it anymore. But I, I really enjoy the cinematography, the acting, across the board. Just a fantastic, lovely film. 114, Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation. This one grew on me a lot. I think it's one of the best action films we've had in the last decade. And Tom Cruise on top of his game. Christopher McQuarrie joins as a director. This is his first one that he's done. And he's done all the he's gonna do all of the rest of them if, if they end after nine or ten or whatever they're gonna end on. Uh probably eight, I guess. But uh 
Rebecca Ferguson here, though, steals the show as a, a rogue sniper, and we're not sure what side she's on. And I thought it was a there was a fantastic ending here when they it's just you have to see it. But I, I, I really think for a fifth entry, this is the best one. Really enjoy this one. One thirteen planes, trains, and automobiles—a holiday classic that I watch every Thanksgiving, starring John Candy, Steve Martin. Lovable. Uh, yeah, it's it, yeah, it's, yeah, lovable. At you know, but it's it's still very funny. Uh, John Hughes wrote the script, directed the movie. Um, people that, that don't like each other—it's just you, know, you can find a common ground and and. It's all about, you know, giving back. And as, as much as we're in a hurry these days, I think Planes, Trains, Automobiles gives us a portrait of what we can slow down, take it easy, and let things happen because life is not always planned out. Expect the unexpected. But I think this is a heartwarming uh, movie that I watch every year. 112 is a tough watch, but I think it's a very important film. Mississippi Burning, starring Gene Hackman, William Defoe, um, takes place in the Deep South. Uh, the Klan is running this town, and um, Gene Hackman and William Defoe are in there to investigate uh, the crimes. It's just a Alan Parker directs the hell out of this movie. It's just a touching, real, um, hard watch at times, but it's just a great freaking movie. And one that it's a little easier to watch, one one eleven, Kingpin, Woody Harrelson, Bill Murray, and Randy Quaid in here in this bowling comedy, a true bowling flick about Woody Harrelson who gets screwed over by Bill Murray, loses his hand, and finds an Amish boy played by Randy Quaid and teaches him how to bowl, ends up back into the, the bowling spotlight where there's a big showdown between him and Bill Murray. Just fantastic movie here by the Fairley Brothers. Hilarious. Back to you, Tom. No. I just look at all the diversity of the, uh, you know, comedy, oh, yeah, yeah. deep South drama. It's just, yeah, yeah, we got it all today. No, yeah, it's like, um, sometimes like when I'm putting away stuff in alphabetical order, like, I was looking for Malignant and it was right next to Malcolm X. And I was like, that would be a little disrespectful if that wasn't alphabetical order. But <laughs> um, So my 110 is The Apartment. Billy Wilder brings us the story of an office worker on the rise by letting out his apartment to his bosses to use as a love nest. Content until he discovers the girl he loves is one of his boss's conquests. The Apartment is a wonderful comedy drama that isn't afraid to tackle dark issues and yet can see the humor in anything. Good one. 109. The Devil's Uncut Version. Uh, Ken Russell's hypnotic film presents the true story of a small French town that stands up against Cardinal Richelieu's invasion attempts with the help of their priest, brought low when his marriage is revealed and falsely accused of devil worship by a nun who lusts after him. Brutal, tragic, and very harsh, an incredible film that presents a truly insane true story 
Also, the uncut, like this one, much like Caligula, was cut a lot, not because there's porn in it, but because the violence is incredibly brutal and there's sexual content that, like, although is not pornographic, was too much for mainstream audiences at the time. Um, a woman masturbates with a femur bone it's at Ken one Russell. point. Um, yeah, it's Ken Russell. He's very horny. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, I would recommend watching the uncut version if you can find it, um, just because it adds in some scenes that I think are emotionally and thematically relevant um, that were cut by censors in the 70s. That's one I want to see. Well, I'll, I'll bring it next time. I love that movie. Obviously, it's on here. <laughs> okay. Uh, number 108, Blue Velvet. David Lynch's masterpiece of a young man called McLaughlin who finds a severed ear one day and nearly loses himself in an amateur investigation where he is forced to strip at knife point and is nearly killed by an ether-addicted madman with a fetish for velvet. Psychosexual and surreal, disturbing and fascinating with an excellent supporting cast, Blue Velvet is not to be missed. Uh, number 107, The Breakfast Club. John Hughes brings together a group of high school stereotypes for a memorable Saturday detention. Hidden devs are revealed in each of the characters over the course of the film. An excellent character study, a goofy comedy, and just an all-around good time. Don't you forget yeah. about me. Yeah, exactly. I, I won't. I will remember you. <laughs> um, number 106. Almost Famous. Cameron Crowe's best film finds a young boy uh, interviewing a band on tour for Rolling Stone magazine. Wonderfully feeling a tender coming-of-age story about vulnerability and self-examination and all-around beautiful film. Agreed. That one probably should be on my list too, but it's not. Yeah, it happens. It happens, guys. All right, 110. I love you, man. Great buddy flick here. Sorry, Nielsen Siegel, Paul Rudd. Very likable. Um, this guy, basically, Paul Rudd, he's about engaged to get married, doesn't have any guy friends. So he sets out. And tries everything to be to find um, a best man, and ends up trying to befriend Jason Siegel, who's the opposite of him. He's more of a you know womanizer, free spirit, openly talks about sex, and this kind of you know gives Paul Rudd a new new eyes and puts his engagement to a test. Anyways, it uh it's. It's, it's it's a comedy though it's not a drama and uh there's a lot of heartwarming stuff in here and i just think it's a very it's one of those comfort movies for me so i really enjoy it 109 is a science fiction classic from the 90s i don't know if it's classic but it's very great it grew on me it's gattaca starring ethan hawk uma thurnan and jud law jude law sorry it's a uh, Great film that's set in the future and genetically engineered, uh, the building the perfect DNA goes into all those themes. And then there's, you know, space travel in here. And it's just, it's a movie for dreamers and it's really well done. 
fantastic. Uh, it's not as big of a science fiction as you would imagine typical sci-fi to be. It's more of a grounded laboratory movie, but it's got a lot of scientific scientific themes that are very interesting still to this day. Next one is 108. Taylor Sheridan, who started his own little Yellowstone universe now, but he his first uh, script, film script, Hell or High Water. Uh, Chris Pine probably gives his best performance in this. Jeff Bridges is great as well. And Ben Foster is, is amazing as well. It's just a great little, uh, I guess it's a more of a neo-Western crime uh, flick that I really enjoy. And I, I, I love the still book. Just how the nice. the, the uh, sunglasses thing comes off, but yeah, great, um, great examination of like uh, two brothers trying to save the farmland, and then an aging uh, detective, Taylor Jeff Bridges, is on the terror trail. So if you haven't seen this one, and you like any of the Taylor Sheridan stuff, I, I highly recommend Hell or High Water. One oh seven. This one. There's a, one, a new, new one that I saw recently within the last year. really blew me away. Uh, Coming Home. This is an actor powerhouse. Uh, John Voight plays a liberal here, hippie, and uh, <laughs> anti-war. Uh, he, he's injured in Vietnam and disabled, and he falls in love with uh, Jane Fonda, who's a nurse, who's also married to... Bruce Dern, who's really into the military, he's he's serving. He's never home. He's always serving. But it's, it's really great commentary on on the whole Vietnam War situation. Really touching, uh, directed by Hal Ashby. Really moving drama here. That really surprised me how how well it holds up. And that ending speech by uh, John Voight is just man, just moves you. 106 is a movie that got me into silent films. The Artist. It's kind of a crazy movie how it won Best Picture and won these Oscars, and it's basically a silent film. Love the dog in this. Love the choreography. The music is fantastic. And a lot of the, the director is a French guy, Michel. I don't want to ruin his name, but he's, he's a great French director. And... Uh, this movie just became this sensation that nobody watches now, but I really, I still enjoy it. Um, yeah, it really gave me like the, it was like my gateway drug to silent films. Oh yeah. All right. I think that cool. yeah. one, one more, right. one more stack of five left for both of us. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my number one of five is uh, there will be blood. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson brings us the story of Daniel Plainsview, a, a ruthless oil tycoon who will stop at nothing to get to the top. He meets resistance from Paul Sunday, a local preacher, and the two clash spectacularly. A visionary, chilling, a haunting portrait of the darkness at the Amer at the heart of the American dream. Good one. I gotta find uh, next. There we go. So then, oh, I didn't remember these. <laughs> <laughs> uh oh, change it on the fly here. Okay, that's right though. All right. Well, I um, 
I moved one movie in my top like um top hundred up. Um like I, I come I ended up combining them because I was talking about the two of them separately and I was like these are really companion pieces. I'm going to put them in the same entry. So then that moved everything up uh, one. But um, anyway, my 104 is Fantastic Planet. A French animated sci-fi film from the 70s finds us in a fully realized world in which gigantic blue aliens keep humans as house pets. A group of humans band together and begin an uprising. Strange, sweet, surreal, and beautifully animated. Yeah. Number 103 is Night of the Living Dead, 1968. Deirdre Romero's debut feature about the dead rising from their graves and a group of survivors who barricade themselves in a house only to turn on each other. Dark, hauntingly filmed in black and white with a black lead, a true 60s classic, an incredibly influential film. Number 102 is a twofer. It is um, The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. Richard Lester's adaptation of the Alexander Dumas classic, D'Artagnan wants to join the Musketeers, the king's bodyguards, and becomes entangled in court intrigue against the scheming Cardinal Richelieu, a very accurate adaptation of the novel, which enhances the comedic undertone to great effect and boasts an all-star cast. And it's very funny. It's really funny, which I was... When we first watched it, uh, we saw it at the New Beverly together. And it was a double feature. So there's intermission between the two parts. And we came out of part one and I was like, part two gets pretty dark. I don't know how they're going to handle that uh, with the comedic tone, but they did it. Um, and they kept the, they kept the dark beats from the novel mm -hmm. in there and still, I don't know. It's an incredible balancing act, truly. Like uh, um, I, I am surprised at how funny they were able to make it and yet um, kill main characters and then have the main characters execute somebody in the second half. And like, it still works. <laughs> like, um, all right. Uh, number 101 is Eyes Wide Shut. Tom Cruise is a doctor called to make a late night house call in late 1990s New York City after a fight with his wife, Nicole Kidman. Angry about a very sexual dream she had, Cruz flirts with infidelity in an increasingly absurd and sexually charged situations. A dark comedy and swan song of director Stanley Kubrick. An enigmatic film that keeps me coming back. An anti-Christmas movie with a circular plot structure broken in half by an infamous masked orgy. All right. Well done. That's just a fitting conclusion to your list for today. Yeah. <laughs> All right, 105 for me is a Disney classic. Cool Runnings, uh, <laughs> star John Candy, about the first Jamaican bobsled team to hit the Olympics. Pretty much paint by numbers, but it's a great flick from my childhood. Really enjoy this one. We need a Blu-ray Disney, but I know you won't do it. Um, next one is 104, and that is. Christopher Nolan's best Batman movie, in my opinion, The Dark Knight, starring uh, Christian Bale. Heath Ledger, of course, plays the Joker here, and a, possibly the best Joker portrayal. I mean, it's just so good. Probably makes the movie, honestly. Mm -hmm. It's more... Um, I mean, yeah, if you didn't have Heath Ledger in this, the movie would 
not be as good at all. But it's just so good, so well directed by Christopher Nolan. I think I saw this several times in theaters. Just one of those movies that sticks with you. And, and like we were watching that film and we saw the ad for this and we we're like, oh, we got to put Dark Knight on. Because it's one of those movies you drop everything for and you watch. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is 103. This one surprised the heck out of me. It's technically a sequel, but it's also like a reboot of sorts. James Gunn's. It's also like a revenge on what happened to James Gunn. I don't know. I just feel like James Gunn let a lot out in this film. And that is the Suicide Squad. He worked out a lot of his stuff <laughs> from with the, the whole Marvel controversy. Uh, joined DC, made the Suicide Squad. Now he runs DC. But uh, great, great film here. One of my favorite comic book movies of all time. It's just so funny. Dark humor, graphic violence, and Sylvester Stallone plays King Shark. So can't go wrong with that. Marco Roby's back as Harley Quinn. Idris Elba is fantastic as well. It's just a great movie, and it led to a spinoff, Peacemaker, which shouldn't have been made, should have died. But <laughs> anyways, uh, people like Peacemaker. Uh, 102. I haven't watched it. Oh, okay. People love it. Uh, yeah, no, they do. 102 is uh, Kubrick as well. Uh, 2001 is Space Odyssey. Just got it on 4K. I haven't watched it yet, but it's one of those movies where I'm like, do I like this movie? Do I know what happened? No. And <laughs> I mean, visually stunning and way ahead of its time. And it's just still amazing what was accomplished with this movie, in my opinion. It's just, I saw it in IMAX recently in the new 4K restoration. It's just, blew me away and i don't even know fully what it's about i i'm gonna presume it's a cautionary tale about technology and just and there's also stuff in here about life and birth and evolution and just it's it's a, it's an experience guys so if you haven't seen 2001 a space odyssey highly recommend and last but not least the one that started uh, Pixar 101 Toy Story. You are a toy. <laughs> You're not real or whatever. I don't know what he says. Something like that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Tom Hanks voices Woody and Tim Allen voices Buzz Lightyear. Just an, a, a fantastic little film here. Uh, it started a, a big boom in animation and really changed it to what we know as today. As far as animation for Pixar, got them on the map with Disney, and it's just great film. Really enjoy this one from again from childhood, and it's just Randy Newman, man. You got a friend in me. So you got a friend in me, Tom. Yeah, you have a friend in me. All right. Well, that'll do it for episode six of the top two fifty. Thank yeah. you guys so much for being here. Let us know below your thoughts on all the films that we've presented today, and what are you, what are your next phase? What what are you, do you have any on the list? You know, do you predict anything in the future that we're going to have on here? Let us know below. Thanks again for watching. Peace out. For more Return of the Disc, visit returnofthedisc.com. Check out the audio version of today's show, available on all major podcast platforms. 
and be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel.